there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and chapter 10. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And now from Acts 10. In Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves 
and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had just seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. My name is Brent. I uh, have the great joy of serving as the pastor here at the local church, and um, I want to echo Leah's welcome of you. We give God thanks for your presence. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, or on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church, and we give God thanks for you. In person, online, it's all true. We thank God for you. We hope for three things. Each and every time you intersect with the local church in any way, we want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is affirmed in your belovedness as the child of God that you are anchored in the good news that we share together each week and empowered then to take that good news into the world, to love where you are affirmed, anchored, and empowered. I would love the chance to meet you. If we haven't yet, I'll be by the door on your way out. Um, and, uh, also, um, there's a card in your seat. Um, and, uh, that card has a spot for your contact information. Um, and on the back, a spot for your prayer requests as well. We take those prayer requests seriously, praying with you before you, uh, during the week. And so we invite you to fill that out. You can bring them forward, place them in the baskets a little bit later when we, uh, when we receive communion together. And if it is your first time and you leave your content information, we'll follow up with an email, um, and a form to let you that, uh, you can fill out to both let us help you take your next step into beloved community here, but also to uh, check from, select from one of four organizations and we will make a donation to that organization in the honor of your presence. And so um, want an uh, incentive for filling out the card and bringing it forward a little bit later. 
today. Um, again, special welcome. If you're with us online, um, it is a gift to be with you all this morning. Hope that you have been able to feel that collective deep breath that I have this morning as well. Um, it is, uh, it's week two of our Ask Us Anything series, and uh, this is how we're wrapping up our summer series at, uh, or summer season at the local church, all about creating space for the big questions, the nagging questions of life and faith that you just can't shake, that you bring with you about God, about the church, about theology. Um, uh, we want to create the opportunity uh, for you to speak your deep wonderings into existence and know that you're not alone in them. Uh, if you have a question, there's one. Could somebody translate that? Was that? Um, if you have one, uh, you can text it to the number on the screen, 984-214-8852. Uh, that's our texting number here at the local church. And uh, that number is going to be on the screen the whole time uh, as well during the message. Uh, so that uh, if something, if inspiration strikes, you can uh, whip out your phone and text me. Now, we won't get to all these questions on Sunday mornings. Um, but uh, we will hold on to them, and over the next, uh, and, and and we may answer some of them in other formats beyond this series, even as well. If you missed last week's question, uh, a big question about how to forgive—a question that I know I needed—you uh, can catch up on our podcast feed. There's a link on the QR code uh, if you scan it with your phone, so that you can catch up that way. And uh, we'll get to today's question in just a second, but I want to set expectations, remind us of uh, the three ground rules that are sort of setting the table for us throughout this series. Uh, the first one is this. We're going to hit these quickly. These aren't answers. These are responses. There's a difference, and that's important. We can't say everything that needs to be said, um, and, uh, and, and it would be um, uh, not a lot of humility. Um, to say, yeah, this is the answer. This is the only way to think about it. So these are responses uh, to these questions. Second, uh, this is one perspective, and you don't have to agree. God made us different. The world strikes us differently. This is one perspective, and uh, this is a semicolon, not a period. And finally, uh, this is not about information. It is about transformation, not just to impress your friends when you leave here with new info, uh, but to integrate it into our lives and in the world. So, all right, you ready? I think we've got the next slide. This is not a question. This is a person, uh, and his name is Neil. I met Neil in 2017 when he was paired with me as my church planting coach. That's a thing. Um, as this whole journey of starting the local church was just beginning. Neil is a retired pastor from Florida. This week, uh, Natalie and, and the girls and I, we got to spend the week with Neil at his home in Navarre Beach, Florida. And uh, it's only the second time that we have ever met in person, um, Neil and I. The, the first time was our very first Sunday service at House of Hops in 2019. Um, but Neil is the person that I want to be when I grow up. He's the person I want to be when I grow up. But Here's the thing. It wasn't always this way. When I was partnered with a coach six years ago, uh, no one asked me about my preferences. No one said, Brent, what are, you, what are you hoping for out of this partnership? What are you looking for in a coach? If they had, I would not have been paired with Neil. Sorry, Neil. I I think you know this. I, I, was hoping, uh, I was hoping for someone who, you know, in, in those moments would help me brainstorm, who would interject his opinion and tell me when I had a dumb idea, replace it with a better one. Uh, we've talked on the phone about every two weeks now um, for the last six years. And uh, in those earliest conversations 
were maddening, just frustrating, because there was so much silence. There were so few ideas. I wanted action. I wanted quick fixes. But I quickly realized that instead of giving me the answers, feeding me his opinion, Neil was doing something different. To this day, he begins every conversation, every time I call him, every two weeks. Well, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And when I ramble on for a good few minutes, he'll listen. And then he'll ask really good, clarifying questions that help me then move from the dance floor to the balcony, right? See things from different perspectives. Listen for new voices, including sometimes my own. That's often hard to hear. And the whole time he's offering affirmation and encouragement, a safe place to land that reminds me who I am and gives me the confidence then to move into a new direction. Everybody should have a kneel. And I share this because when I think about today's topic, I can't help but think about Neil. No one has taught me more about today's topic than Neil has. So here is today's question. If I feel God is nudging me about something I should be doing, for instance, a cause I should get involved in, is there anything I can do? Is there spe- are there specific actions in addition to praying for discernment that will help me see and hear? Or do I just wait? I get, a, I get a variation of this question a lot. And, uh, and even if it's not explicitly asked, it's there beneath the surface in all of our coffee shop conversations and the texts that we exchange back and forth, all the things. Which way do I go? What comes next? What does God want me to do? And so this morning, we're going to talk about the practice of discernment. Discernment, a form of holy listening and responding how to listen well for the voice of God, especially when we find ourselves in challenging situations or at a sort of crossroads, why any of it matters, and the really, really good news in the midst of it all. But first, let's just slow down and be quiet for a moment. Holy God, heart of our own hearts, unveil our eyes, open our hearts, unstop our ears, be our vision. Help us to see what's been there the whole time. Help us to listen. Amen. First, we have to talk about what discernment is and what it's not. The first reading that Irene offered this morning was the story of Jesus's ascension to heaven. The disciples have watched their friend, Jesus, die. They've watched him, seen him raised to new life. He's hung around with them then for 40 days, and in that time, they've shared meals, they've shared life. It's almost as if nothing had happened. 
But then he utters these final words to them on earth. Don't leave Jerusalem, he says, but wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And then he's gone. He's lifted up out of sight. And you can just imagine, can't you? The disciples, you can imagine the disciples standing there, mouths agape, looking up like, what just happened? Is this some kind of sick joke? Didn't we just go through this? How can Jesus, how can this Jesus movement possibly go on without him? What do we do now? Can you imagine the disorientation? Can you imagine the fear, the, the overwhelm, the, the uncertainty, the self-doubt, the paralysis. I bet you can. I bet you can. And now, y'all, we make decisions all the time. Uh, a Cornell University study found that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions each and every day. And you've got to be closing in on a few thousand by now yourself. Should I get out of bed? Do I have to brush my teeth? What do I wear to church? Where do I sit? What do I do with my hands? Are we still singing? Can I leave now, right? We're, all of these decisions, you can, you'll continue to make these uh, uh, throughout the day, even when you're not aware that you're making a decision. Where do we go for lunch? What do I order? Where uh, um, uh, do I add this to my cart? Do I keep watching this Instagram reel or is it time to swipe up? These, uh, these decisions uh, might feel relatively minor, but not every decision that we face is like this, right? This is what I was getting at earlier. I would imagine that for most of us, we've been faced with bigger decisions than which streaming service to use or whether we want our coffee hot or iced. Questions uh, that come with feelings not too dissimilar from the disorientation, the overwhelm, the uncertainty, the paralysis that the disciples had to have been feeling in the moment of the ascension. Questions like, do we make the move? Can we afford this? Do I take the job? What am I doing with my life? Do we, do we try to work on things? Are they really gone? These questions. There are others. I bet you know some of them. You might be thinking about some of them. Sometimes we have these big questions, and other times the questions are actually full-on seasons, seasons of grief, of heartache, of angst, of confusion, seasons it's all hit the fan, and you're not sure where to begin, and you too are staring up at the sky, mouth agape, thinking, what do we do now? What do I do now? Unsure, then, of your next move. Maybe you've got smaller but no less important decisions that happen on a daily basis, how to handle finances, how to respond to what you see on the news, what to say to that friend that you've been avoiding. In each of these examples, there's an underlying question, and that question is this, what now? What now? Reminds me of a poem uh, from poet and eco-theologian Wendell Berry. If you'll indulge me here, Wendell Berry, in this poem, it may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. We have a name for that real work that Wendell Berry is describing. We call it discernment discernment. And now there are many ways that you could go about responding to these questions. You could gather all the data. 
You could make a spreadsheet. You could create a list of pros and cons. You could take a BuzzFeed quiz. You could just go with your gut. But none of that is discernment. Discernment is different. It goes beyond decision-making. It goes beyond data analysis, weighing pros and cons. At its core, the real work of discernment is the intentional act of prayerful listening for what God is trying to say in a given situation. To you, to others, and to the world. And then letting our lives be channels for that voice in the world. Discernment is the intentional act of prayerful listening for what God is trying to say. And then letting our lives be channels for that voice in the world. I like how my friend Beth uh, Eastock puts it. She's a pastor out in Portland, Oregon. And she says this about discernment. She says, discernment is cultivating a desire to desire what God desires. Discernment is cultivating a desire to desire what God desires. Makes me think of... Um, a tiny old uh, uh, black and white TV that my parents had growing up. And it was one of those that, that you could only get what the antenna picked up. Um, and you had to physically move the dial to tune in to whatever was on. It would take some finagling. But after testing and adjusting a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, the static would then give way to clear picture and sound. Discernment is a lot like that through scripture, prayer, this gathering here in community through mission. That's the, the tweaking, the testing, adjusting. Discernment is the real work of attuning ourselves to the presence of God, the one in whose image we are made and letting God then lead us into what's next. Or put another way, here's how Paul describes it in Romans he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. This discernment work, this real work is the renewing of the mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the work of discernment, cultivating the desire to desire what God desires, cultivating the same mind in us that is in Christ Jesus. We'll get to the how, but first we've got to pick up with the disciples. They were left staring up in heaven, mouths agape, wondering what to do next when two men in white robes remind them what Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait there. And so they do. Sort of waiting, likely in agony with hope, perhaps a little skepticism. They wait, clinging to all they have left at their disposal, all they've been equipped with, their common practices, their prayers, their scripture. Until not many days later, the Holy Spirit finally comes at Pentecost. Everything changes. You couldn't have missed it. The presence of God descends. The power of Jesus comes upon them. The church is born. That's what the book of Acts is all about. The earliest followers of Jesus trying to discern, trying to discern what it means to live in light of the resurrection. What do we do now? What does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth? Among those disciples there at the ascension, there in the waiting, there at Pentecost, who ends up preaching the first sermon is Peter. It's the same Peter who denied Jesus same Peter we talked about last week who wanted the forgiveness award. The same Peter who, who cut off a guy's ear. The same Peter on whom Jesus said, it, on this rock, I will build my church. And so we fast forward now a few chapters to chapter 10, one of my favorite stories in the whole book of Acts. And I think this story not only demonstrates the fruit of Peter's discernment work, but it also gives us a really good framework for how to practice discernment ourselves. Here's how it goes. Here's the real work. You ready? Slow down, let go, and then move. Slow down, 
let go, and then move. As you heard Irene read, the story opens on Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman guard, kind of a big deal, but also uh, he's not Jewish. And because he's not Jewish, Cornelius is considered a Gentile, which means that he's not among God's chosen people. Immediately after we hear that Cornelius prays constantly to God, Irene read that, uh, he has this vision in which an angel appears and tells him to send it for a man named Peter, who he's never met. And so he does. Cut to Peter, then, who's on a roof praying. He's hungry, and in his hunger, he enters this sort of meditative trance. And when he does this, he has this incredible vision of a sheet being lowered from heaven. And there are all kinds of animals on this sheet. I call this his holy sheet moment, by the way. And then he hears, he hears a voice that says, uh, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter responds, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And what you need to know is that Jewish dietary laws prohibited Peter from eating these animals. But the voice responds, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Wild moment. And what I want you to notice here is that both Peter and Cornelius have created space for that spirit to speak. They've slowed down. You know the reality in which we find ourselves. Constant app notifications, that, that annoying red dot in the corner, breaking news alerts, full calendars. We are often overwhelmed by distractions, busy to a fault, ruled by the tyranny of the urgent. But if we're honest, sometimes these are excuses that we make to avoid what we might face were we to really slow down. I'll never forget this moment in divinity school. Uh, my friend Thomas, um, after I had been lamenting over how busy I was, he asked me point blank, do you stay busy because you're afraid of what you might find if you, if you slow down? Oh, the truth is that slowing down carries the risk of forcing us to be with ourselves long enough that we might have to confront our fears, our motivations, our uncertainties, our shame, our grief. It's so much easier to stay busy, to keep running. But when we slow down, when we create space, whether it's 20 minutes of silence in the car, 15 minutes with your cup of coffee first thing in the morning, a quick five, whenever you can manage it, right here. When we slow down, we have a greater capacity to be present with the God who has always been present with us and to attune ourselves to the voice of Jesus. That's what Cornelius and Peter are able to do, which brings us to that second step. What happens when we slow down? Let go. Now, here's the thing. When we first become attuned to the voice of Jesus, it it, it, it may not be what we want to hear or expect to hear in those moments. Cornelius hears, go send for Peter, Jewish man he's never met. Peter hears, get up, kill and eat, which flies in the face of his customs, of his traditions, everything he's known to be true. In each situation, there is a call to, to let go of that which could get in the way of their ability to experience the fullness of what God has for them. This is risky. This takes courage. 
This is an act of faith. At the very least, Cornelius lets go of his agenda. Whatever he had planned for the day, it's taken a back seat now. Not to mention, what might this encounter do to his status, his power? He has to then let go of the outcome, what he would hope to be true. And then think about what Peter has to let go of, a whole way of life, a whole traditioned way of life. He has to let go of his biases, of his beliefs, his motivations. And when the voice tells him about the representatives of Cornelius who are at his door, he has to let go of his centered story to then embrace new people and new perspectives. He also has to let go of the outcome because it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. Both had to let go of their certainty as they stepped out in faith with another. Sometimes, if we listen closely, the voice is not at all what we want to or expect to hear. So we have to let go of those expectations too. We might also hear our own voice, the one that God has given us. If we slow down and attune ourselves to the voice of Jesus, we might also let go of those false narratives that try to pin us down. You know the ones, the lies that we've come to believe about who we are, the fear, the anxiety that sort of keep us trapped, keep us bound, the shame that we carry, the self-doubt it's been reinforced all in favor. What does it look like to let them go to all in favor of attuning our ears to the still small voice of the good, the beautiful, the true in each of us, our belovedness, the divine voice that's been given, but hidden. It might be even more difficult. This sort of letting go is what Jesus means when he says that to find your life, you got to lose it. One thing that I've found helpful in this practice of letting go um, is that when you come upon something that might be a barrier, you come upon something that might get in the way or you think is getting in the way, whether it's a bias, a voice of shame, unproductive voice. Um, and sometimes you can, you can feel that in your gut before you, can, before you know what it is. What you do is you just simply acknowledge it and you move on. There you are. And it might seem silly, um, but I promise that it's helpful. You just note it, you greet it, show it some grace, but you don't dwell on it. Oh, hey, fear, off you go. I see you, shame. Not this time. Keep going. Slow down. Let go. Finally, the third step, move. And this is our grace-filled response. It's a, it's a conversation, a testing of the waters, trusting that wherever we move, God is there. God's got us. Once they've heard something, both Peter and Cornelius respond. Peter gets up, goes with the guards. When Peter arrives, Cornelius falls at Peter's feet, worshiping him. And Peter's like, get up, man. This is, we, don't, we don't get this part of the story in the scripture. But, uh, but I love this moment. Peter's like, oh, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's God. Get up, get up, get up. Peter tells him to get up. And Peter has this revelation as he comes face to face with this Gentile that, that what hadn't been clear before now becomes a little more clear when he sees Cornelius in front of him. The same thing that was true about the animals is true about this Gentile, this outsider. What God has called clean, we must not call profane. 
the arms of Jesus are wide open. And Peter declares in this moment, it just sort of comes out of him in the Greek, God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. And after this, Cornelius' whole family is baptized. After a season of discernment for the early church, this moment helps lead to the inclusion of Gentiles in the family of God. It's a pivotal moment for the early church, all brought about by the discernment from Peter and Cornelius. Two things to point out here. First, discernment best happens in community. Sometimes our first move should be to, uh, toward a trusted friend or a mentor, a pastor who can help clarify that voice and help us see a fuller picture. Here's what I'm sensing. What do you think, right? I do this with Neil every two weeks. Notice that when, when Peter and Cornelius meet, their discernment is clarified for each other. They wouldn't have got to it on their own. They needed the other to help see the fuller picture. They're able to see more clearly because of their meeting. Discernment best happens in the context of community. And the other thing is that this movement can be a way of testing the waters, testing out what we are discerning, taking a step, and then reflecting on that outcome, discerning again. (laughs) Remember, the picture wasn't fully clear when they moved. This really is, sorry to break it to you, a lifelong process. It has to become habitual. But the really, really good news in all of it is that if we give ourselves to this prayerful process of discernment, of listening and responding, there is no such thing as a wrong decision. Spoiler alert. There is no such thing as a wrong move because God's grace is in all of it. And the God who works all things together for good is a part of every choice, is a part of every step and every action. We call that provenient grace, the grace of God that has already gone ahead of us in whatever decision that we might make. And so you might be asking yourself, then, so what's the point then? Shouldn't I just go with my gut? Shouldn't I just do whatever I want? If God is in whatever we decide anyway, can't I just do whatever? Well, two things. One, this process of discernment changes us. It changes us and how we relate to one another, to the world around us, to our communities, our relationships, our families, all of it. It changes us. And the second thing is that I've got to believe that in a world that is as fraught as ours has become, fraught with fear, families and friendships fractured, loneliness as an epidemic now, creation groaning, Bigotry inscribed into law, perhaps slowing down, letting go, moving in the direction of Jesus, becoming attuned to his voice, cultivating the desire to desire what God desires. Maybe, maybe it's not such a bad idea for us. There is so much more to to be said about how this real work of discernment, cultivating a desire to desire what God desires, how it can take a while, how it doesn't come overnight. It's a practice for that reason. I want to say more also about how um, being attuned to our bodies can help our discernment as well. But right now, what I want you to do instead is just hold that situation in your mind, whatever that is for you, just hold it there. That, that, stuckness that you're feeling, 
of decision on the horizon, that thing that wakes you up at three in the morning or, or prevents you from falling asleep at night, whatever it is, hold it there. Here's my prayer for you, my friends. If the road ahead isn't clear, if you feel stuck, if you find yourself at a crossroads or a big season of change, if the struggle is real, I pray that you will give yourself the grace and the space to slow down, to hang with it, to hang with God, to let go of what you find in the way your biases, your desired outcomes, the false self trying to speak lies such that the beautiful, the good, the true would awaken in you and you would move then toward the future that God has for you. If you're still waiting, if you're in that space of of unknowing, that liminal space, I pray that this community will be a safe space for you to do that work, to equip you with scripture, prayers, community, mission, to continue to tune that TV dial just right. If you notice the movement of this service, there's a slowing down, there's a letting go, there's a move. And in that waiting, I pray that you will know through this community that you are not alone in any of it. And I pray you'll let us be your kneel for a little while. And I pray that we will be, as a community, of people who will be about this vital work in the world. Desiring to desire what God desires for the good of our families, for the good of our communities, for the good of ourselves, for the good of all of creation. In the words of Wendell Berry, we have come to our real work. Slow down, let go, move. Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.